Low back pain costs the United States like $100 billion a year, something like that. That's insane. That's a huge chunk of the economy. And that's just low back pain. Mm -hmm. And low back pain is something that is experienced by 80% of people at some point during their lives. Low back pain isn't something that goes away overnight. It's probably not something that's going to go away after six visits to your physical therapist either. A coach who is able to spend multiple hours one-on-one with sessions, with remote programming, with progressive uh, exposure to new stimulus over time can solve that problem. Mm-hmm. There's nobody else who's positioned as uh, perfectly, for lack of a better word, to solve that type of a problem than a coach. Active Lifers, good news for you today. Bulletproof is back. Due to popular demand, we have brought back our body part specific training programs. The Active Life team of doctors and coaches have developed four programs for you to choose from. Back, shoulders, legs, and total body. Kiss your aches and pains goodbye and finally feel great again. Check out the link in show notes for all of the details. What's up, Active Lifers? Welcome back to the Active Life Podcast. I'm Dr. Sean Pastuge. I'm your host. Today, I'm joined in studio... Yeah, with, uh, with uh, Lance Anderson. That's yes, but, but introduced himself. He's perfect. This guy's amazing. <laughs> uh, we've gotten a lot of questions from gym owners and from coaches out there who want to develop programs. They want to develop eight-week programs, six-week programs, 12-week programs that they can use to better develop members of their gym and even to bring members into their gym. And I thought that what would be really valuable to be able to help them to do that would be to talk to you, Lance, about how you spearhead course development for our ALP program. And so the ALP program, for those of you who are listening and aren't familiar with what I'm talking about, is where we genuinely teach fitness professionals how to bridge the gap between what the fitness industry can do today And what the fitness industry needs to be able to do in order to think of itself as a part of the healthcare continuum. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's uh, really what, and the way that we're doing that is looking at it in terms of what needs to happen, right? Of like, what goals do we need to accomplish in order to uh, make sure that we are actually bridging that gap, and that this isn't just some sort of catchphrase that we're using to to pull people in, because it's we're giving these people actionable items. Uh, to to carry out with their clients and in their gyms. Yeah, so as you're listening to this from wherever you're listening to this, I want you to know that the truth is I'm going to ask Lance questions that I don't know the answers to because it's not my skill set, it's not my strong suit, it's not my responsibility within the company to build the curriculums that are your strong suit to build. And so as you're listening to this from anywhere else in the world, if you're thinking to yourself, well, what's the point of this? It's the same thought process goes into building anything that goes into building a curriculum like what Lance would build if it's meant to improve somebody's skill acquisition in your business. If it's meant to acquire a member into your business and it's a 12-week-long plan that you're running, it needs to be thought of the same way that Lance is going to go through, I imagine, um, how we build a course at Active Life. Yeah. Yeah, and, and really what that boils down to is we – we decide on what the end goal is. So the next course that we have coming up is the orthopedic considerations course that we actually just finished uh, filming for that yesterday. And that's going to be the, the next uh, leg for the ALP uh, group. And our intent with that was to 
be able to help coaches think like a physical therapist, but stay in their lane as a coach. Okay. So if I understand correctly, the thesis is that by the time you finish this course, you will be able to think like a healthcare provider, like a physical therapist, and you will be able to execute the maximum scope of a coach to bring you right up to the edge of, ah, this is as close to physical therapy as it's going to get for a fitness professional. Absolutely. That's, that's a hundred percent what we were trying to do. And the reason that's important is that we don't want to have a big gap to bridge between fitness and healthcare. It's a lot better if that's just a, a little stream that we have to cross. And with the fundamental knowledge and the principles and the critical thinking that uh, the participants will get from this course, that's what it does. It closes that gap so that bridge can be uh, a lot smaller. And that creates a lot of trust for the healthcare providers who are on the other side of that, mm-hmm. that gap to be able to be like, hey, we know that these people who have been through the ALP curriculum, they're able to you know, deal with these problems. They know what it means you know, post-surgery for a, a knee replacement or an ACL reconstruction. And we can trust them. And we know that these people are going to have good outcomes because they have the knowledge base and the critical thinking skills to be able to address those higher level problems. So I think that in order for anybody to be inspired to step into anything, whether that's joining your gym, if you're listening to this from home, buying personal training from you, if you're listening to this from home or enrolling in the ALP, which is our curriculum in which this course exists. It's the only way you can get it is to go through the whole curriculum. What are some questions that perhaps would demonstrate to a coach that there is knowledge that could expand their ability to impact their members that they don't currently have. And I'll, I'll ask you this in a, a more straightforward way. I think a lot of people, fitness professionals especially, would like to believe that they're already doing what it is that you're describing, that the gap isn't as wide as what you might be suggesting that it is. And so what are some examples of things that you go through in the course that not only demonstrate the gap to the students who are in it, but that demonstrate the gap to the client who that student would end up serving. Okay. I think what you're saying. Um, A good example would be like, let's say somebody had a labor repair on their shoulder. When somebody comes in with that sort of, or in that sort of post-op scenario, a coach needs to know what it means to have a slap tear. A coach needs to know how many you know, anchors were there because that's going to dictate um, the speed at which they're going to progress these people. They need to know where that person left off in their physical therapy. They need to know what that looked like because for a, you know, 65-year-old person who just uh, maybe they like to paint and so they have their arm overhead a lot and they end up with this injury, it's going to be very different from somebody who's 25 years old and wants to go hard in the gym. And being able to parse the details of that and know what to do and how to progress that person and the things that they need to talk about with the rehab team that was working with them before so that they're picking up at the right place, that's the type of thing that you're going to get from this course. It's not so much of like, hey, here's this cookie cutter thing, go do this. It's here are the critical thinking skills that you need to address this specific thing and you can apply those principles to a broad spectrum of different scenarios that you may encounter in the gym. Well, so 
the immediate thing that I'm thinking about when I hear this is how is this different than physical therapy? And, and I'll, I'll, I'll explain why I think it's important to be able to express that besides the obvious responsibility factor of leaving medical services to medical providers and fitness services to fitness providers. I think that it needs to be clear to the person who would go seek the services of the coach you were educating on why the coach is able to solve this problem that they didn't even know that they had Mm -hmm. until it was shared with them. So where does physical therapy leave off after say a surgery for a slap tear with four anchors? Mm -hmm. They go through rehab at a certain point. It's okay. Now it's time for you to go to the next part of your life. What does that transition look like for the, for the patient turning into a client? Yeah, oftentimes the uh, kind of like the general baseline or guideline for physical therapy, and especially if we're dealing with insurance and things, it's like we're going to get you back to about 80% of where you were functioning before you were injured. So that doesn't take into account any sort of like competition if they were in some sort of sporting endeavors or anything like that. And oftentimes what that looks like at the end is, okay, we, we got you to this place to where the insurance says that we need to discharge you. And now, here's this exercise plan. Here you go. See you later. Have fun. Figure it out. Mm-hmm. And that's not necessarily to knock on physical therapists. Like, I'm a physical therapist. Like, right. that's, that's not to knock on that profession. It's that there are these limitations in the current healthcare model of how things work that you can only go so far. And once you get to that point, you just kind of have to figure it out on your own. Mm-hmm. And where coaches who have gone through the ALP curriculum where they come in is to be able to take those people from that 80% and get them back to, you know, 100% or even beyond because they know what's going on when you're actually there and where to pick up on. Because a lot of times people, when they, they will get discharged from physical therapy, they'll be feeling pretty good, Mm -hmm. but they may not have that tissue capacity back yet. They won't actually have a graded, return to the sport or the activities that they were doing. And that puts those people in a very vulnerable position for re-injury. Well, and it's, you know, the, the adage in the medical community is the most common cause or the most common predictor for future injury is previous injury. Mm -hmm. And that's unfortunate because what it says to me is when somebody, let's say has a slap tear or a labrum tear, and let's pretend that they're a CrossFitter and they go get their surgery they come out of surgery. They get physical therapy. They show back up at the gym. The advice that they were given was take it easy, mm-hmm. you know, ease back into it. Yeah, what and does that mean? They don't know what that means. Yeah. And their coach doesn't necessarily know what that means because it's, there's a scientific measurable way to say this is taking it easy for you and this is taking it easy for somebody else, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And we teach that in the course. Now, the other side of that for me is what is the, what is the danger of going too far. So in other words, we teach a course so that a trainer can take or a coach can take somebody from the end of their post-surgical rehab to progressing further on in their, in their fitness pursuit, mm-hmm. right? Their life pursuit. What is the risk of a trainer or a coach trying to intervene when it's still the physical therapist's responsibility? Gotcha. Yeah. So I, we have to know where the scope of the coach begin begins and ends. And if we go with the same example of, you know, the, the labral uh, repair, a coach isn't going to see that person in an acute stage. 
they're not going to be their first point of contact after the surgery. They're going to be there after that person is discharged from physical therapy. So they're going to be the people that, or the person that picks up after the rehab team, the medical rehab team has already done their job. Sometimes that job is going to be phenomenal and you're not going to need to do very much besides monitor uh, that progressive return to activity. Sometimes that job won't be done very well and there's going to be some other things that you have to sort through. Mm -hmm. But either way, the coach isn't going to be stepping in before the medical rehab team ever because that's not the scope of the coach. Right. The scope of the coach begins after the physical therapy or the rehab team has done what they can do. In a surgical case we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, in a surgical case. So what, what I'm, the reason I wanted to go through that with you is because I think that when you're thinking about building out a program, mm. it's very easy to say, we could add this, we could add this, we could add this. And it's important to decide before you begin, what is the end goal? And what are the parameters with it, with it, within which we're going to stay? Mm-hmm. And when you talk about something like this, we're looking at the parameters with, within which we're going to stay. It's a tongue twister. Are, what is the scope of a coach? What is the scope of a physical therapist? Where does the scope of the physical therapist and, and the responsibility of a coach begin? Mm-hmm. And where does potentially that scope of and responsibility of a coach who could do this start to end? Because we don't take this into now writing a performance program for a CrossFit Games athlete or an Olympian, do we? No. Right. No. So the other side to that that I want to ask you about in this case, because when we're looking at developing a course, it's is there a need? You know, do people actually want this? Yeah. A lot of people who I've talked to about what we do at Active Life who are physical therapists or chiropractors would say every physical therapist can and should be doing that. My contention is that once they move past the rehabilitative phase, a physical therapist stops practicing as a physical therapist and begins practicing as a coach, regardless of the knowledge that they have. And I'm curious your takes on that. Yeah, I think that that's, that's the case because when, uh, when we're thinking about physical therapy, oftentimes we think about, or this is the way that I visualize it at least, is that that's more of an acute phase, generally speaking. Right? So the person has been injured relatively recently and they they came in whether that was from a surgery or maybe they had a disc injury and they're there for rehab that's something that happens a little bit earlier on but once they've progressed to a, a certain level they have to spend more time with that person to be able to get more progress for them it's like chasing diminished returns exactly exactly and the way that, again, that the current healthcare model and everything of billing for units and time and all that stuff, it's not set up for physical therapists to be able to do that very well. It's not advantageous to do that. Mm-hmm. A coach, on the other hand, is able to come in, spend significantly more one-on-one time without having to worry about all these other things that are going on with other you know, clients or patients or whatever that are, are doing these different exercises and stuff in the gym, they are able to, to focus in on their very specific problems now that have been narrowed by the physical therapist who did their job, mm-hmm. and they can move them up the ladder to that other, you know, 20% of the way back up to full function. Yeah, and I think that any physical therapist or a chiropractor who is administering that kind of a coaching regimen with their client after the rehab acute care is done they're getting that the the reason why the insurance scope is so important 
is because the education that they got in their school to get their licensure was designed to be able to get them paid by insurance companies, whether we like that or not. Mm -hmm. So if they got education after that, that enables them to help a client or a patient further along their journey than what their scope is defined as by the schools that they go to and the insurances that they are allowed to accept should they choose to, that's where I say they start to practice as a coach. Yeah. And so it's overwhelming to even think about all of the things that could have been included in a course like the orthopedic considerations in the ALP. Mm-hmm. Where do you start? Really? For, for me, it was the idea of what is working really well in the courses that we're doing and other you know, teaching institutions around the world, like what works the best. It's like the Harvard Business School. That whole thing is based off of case studies. Mm-hmm. They drill the crap out of everything. Like, hey, this is a scenario. You're the CEO. You came in. These are the numbers. What do you do? That same concept is the backbone of the orthopedic considerations course. We want these people to have as much practice with somebody, you know, like I'm a physical therapist, I will be running the course, somebody who has a little bit larger umbrella of knowledge to be able to walk through these different case studies, multiple case studies as a group every week and to break down the different things that are going on. Okay, this is what's going on. What if, you, what if we see a red flag? Here, what if um, you know they're saying that they're, they're walking around after their car accident and it feels like they have kind of like a bobblehead? Well, we know that there's some ligamentous instability and we need to refer them out. Mm-hmm. We, we know that even though they were cleared before, that spasm may have broken now and they have more mobility there. That was something that was missed maybe in the ER. And you have that knowledge now to keep this person safe and get them back to the ER because that's a medical emergency. Mm-hmm. And so... For me, it was having that first overarching idea or vision of we want coaches to be able to think like a physical therapist but stay within their lane so that gap doesn't have to be very broad. And then bridging that over to the way that we do that is walk through all of the the base knowledge that you need to know. And along the way, we drill it over and over and over with specific case studies with these different body part and different regions to make sure that you have the knowledge and the confidence to be able to take this knowledge and use it with your client. Active lifers, I have good news for the fitness professionals out there. If you are ready to build a rock solid coaching and training practice, the best place to start is in the Active Life Seminar. Hosted live and online, you're going to learn our signature nine point movement assessment system, rules for training and programming with pain, and how to make sales feel natural, so much more. Check out the link in the show notes for more information. And how do you decide what topics to cover? Because you could be talking about a labrum tear in the shoulder. Mm -hmm. Then you could talk about a muscle tear in the quad. You could talk about a disc injury in the back. The body is so complex. How did you decide where to start and end what what it includes? So what we did is we broke it into uh, a couple sections. In the 
delivered content, so in the written things and in the videos, what we do is we break down the injuries by, by type. So whether it's tendinopathy or maybe it's a fusion or it's a disc injury, and we break those down by type so that we can help you to understand what the programming principles are behind those types of injuries of how you would um, how you would address that. So if it's tendinopathy, we're going to have HSR. If it's degenerative uh, versus reactive, like these are the differences, that kind of thing. So we break it down by injury type. So we have the fundamental principles, and then as we work through the um, the different body regions, what we did was we took the injuries that are the people are likely to see. You know the things that that. Uh, kind of like personify or they're stereotypical for that body part of this encompasses or dealing with this injury encompasses a lot of the principles that you need to understand. And so that's how we broke those down. And we also created a handbook that has just a bunch of different pathologies listed throughout it that will give you a starting point if you feel like you're stuck. You're like, you know what, this is kind of like this, but there's some nervy stuff going on too. I'm not really sure where I should start, okay, I have that critical thinking process, we have this algorithm that we can kind of follow through here, and it looks like it's something like this, so this is where I can start. So it's more of a principle-based idea, rather than, here, we're gonna spoon-feed you everything, and now if you confront something that's not specifically that same exact thing, you're not gonna know what to do. Yeah, what you're describing there is, like the constructs that we teach in the first course, the immersion course, mm-hmm. the idea that if somebody came to you and said, my knee hurts, you wouldn't say, okay, does it hurt when you squat? Yes. Does it hurt when you lunge? Yes. Does it hurt when you Bulgarian squat? Yes. Does it hurt when you um, reverse lunge? Yes. Does it hurt when you, you don't need to go through every different example of unilateral knee flexion mm-hmm. to identify that unilateral knee flexion is going to be a problem for us. We just take that out for the moment. Uh, and, how much mentorship did you decide to include so that when somebody says, for example, this is something that we didn't cover explicitly. Mm. I have an inkling that it's this. I follow the algorithm and it's telling me this, but there's still some need for me to be a human and make a call. How much support do they have to come back and ask you or somebody else on our team who has the expertise? Yeah, so if it's during the course, the way that the weekly calls are set up is let's, hey, you're going to go through this content, you're going to watch these videos, you're going to read this stuff, and you're going to have these case studies. We go through the case studies, and there's time set aside every week for people to ask questions. So if they have somebody that they're working with, and they're like, you know, I'm not really sure what this is. Can we talk about this? Can we, can we do this as a group? Absolutely. We can do that as a group. We have the community calls for ALP that happen every week. And that's something that everybody comes together as a group. And, you know, we talk about the wins and the great things that are happening that, and that really keeps the fire lit for a lot of people, keeping Mm -hmm. them progressing. But we also come together as a community to solve each other's problems and to have an outside perspective on the things that, that are happening. And so those are, those are the main things that we have, um, that occur every single week. But Anybody who goes through the course, like they have access to, you know, send me an email. And if we need to get on a call or something like that, then we can do that because we want to make sure that the people who go through the ALP curriculum are able to deliver on this, this promise and this vision of being able to bridge the healthcare or bridge the gap between healthcare and fitness. Yeah. And, and, and they also have the Slack channel and the Slack channel. Right. So I think it's important. I want to add in, if, if you're an owner of a business listening to this, 
and you have a vision. You need to, like, if you want to be able to decide, should we build this or should we not build this, it needs to either align or not align with a vision that you've stated and understand. For us at Active Life, what we really want to be able to do is insert the person who today is thought of as a coach, a trainer, a fitness professional, and really elevate their status so that they can be thought of in a respectable way by the medical community as an additional arm to how we actually solve issues as it pertains to musculoskeletal, metabolic, and inflammatory disease processes. Because let's face it, we're not doing that well right now. And the coach of today has the most time and opportunity to do that. Once we understand that that's what we want to be able to do, we have to ask ourselves, okay, well, what's in it for them? Right? What's in it for them to do it? Sure, it can be inspiring and fun, but they also need to be able to get paid. Mm-hmm. So people who go through the course experience training on business, training on making money, training on sales, training on marketing. We could add a million courses to this if we wanted to, but the idea is they should all solve the problem of helping somebody become a more effective version of a healthcare provider than exists today in the fitness coaching world. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So when you're making decisions about should we do this or should we not do this, the question is very simple. Take the money out of it for your company. Does it get you closer to your stated goal or not? If the answer to that is no, then avoid doing it. If the answer to that is yes, then do it. If the answer to that is I'm not sure, then figure it out. (laughs) Figure it out together. Yeah. So how do you know when the course is done? From your perspective, you're creating it. You go into the lab uh, and you're like, all right, I'm going to build a course that is about 13 weeks long that requires a lot of application. It's going, this is, I believe from what I've seen to date, this is going to be far and away the most challenging course we've ever thrown at by far (laughs) by our students. And it is the course that I believe will really start to bring in legitimate credibility. I'm very, very, very excited about it. I'm also hopeful that we don't lose too many students who are in it because it's difficult. It's going to be hard, but it will, it'll be rewarding too, because you'll be able to see, Hey, I understand this thing better now about the shoulder or the knee that I couldn't help John with before because he had this old surgery and maybe didn't go very well, but now I know what's happening Mm -hmm. and like I can, I can go through here and name these six different clients that now I can help or these prospective people that I've met before that I knew they had this thing going on. I have the knowledge base to help them now. Right. Well, and the the other side of that is we put it late in the curriculum for a reason. Yeah. Well, they have to have the foundation first, right? They have to have the foundation. And frankly, um, from a business perspective, a client retention tool, I want them to be committed that I made this decision to do this thing. I'm about two thirds of the way through it. I don't want to quit right now because it's getting difficult towards (laughs) the end. So, uh, all of that goes into consideration, but how do you know when you're done with the material? How do you know that you're like, yeah, this is it. We're done. This is this, this encapsulates what we're trying to do. Yeah. For the, the orthopedic considerations course, that was actually pretty easy because what we did was break down the content according to body region. And so if we go back to that vision, that whole idea, think like a physical therapist, stay in your lane as a coach, and you just work your way down from the neck to your ankles. Once you're down to the bottom, (laughs) 
you're done, mm-hmm. right? You've, you've made your way through the entire body and you've relayed the information that you needed to relay. For something like the breathwork course that I created previously, that was a little bit more difficult. And the reason that was more difficult is because there's not quite as much information out about something like that. And so it kind of has this air of like esoteric knowledge, but it was the same thing. What we wanted to do is be able to bring breath work out of the esoteric and make it applicable to everyday people. And what that started with was the, you know, the pillars of breath work, which would be mechanics, CO2 tolerance and state. But then we realized that there was a little bit more that we needed to do. And so the first time around, we didn't get it quite right. We went back and we added lung capacity because that's the number one predictor of lifespan. And we added really some, yeah, we added some stuff with, with energy systems because I didn't want to know my lung capacity. There we go. <laughs> I guess I need to learn it now if I want to live forever. <laughs> so final question as it pertains to this course specifically in the development of it. Mm-hmm. The, one of the first things we said was there needs to be a problem. If there's not a problem, avoid creating a solution. I think it's reasonable for people to say there are a lot of solutions to the problems that you're claiming that there aren't solutions to. Mm -hmm. There are accreditations that have corrective exercise courses. There are um, universities that that accreditate physiologists and things like this. When you went to look at the material, you've been through full-blown college education. You've coached in the fitness industry in the past. Mm -hmm. What led you to believe there's a gap here. <laughs> uh, the fact that uh, the our society sucks at addressing these problems. All you have to do is look at the numbers, right? And um, I'm not sure if this number is correct, but I looked at this like yesterday, that low back pain costs the United States like $100 billion a year, something like that. That's insane. That's a huge chunk of the economy. And that's just low back pain. Mm-hmm. And low back pain is something that is experienced by 80% of people at some point during their lives. Low back pain isn't something that goes away overnight. It's probably not something that's going to go away after six visits to your physical therapist either. A coach who is able to spend multiple hours one-on-one with sessions, with remote programming, with progressive uh, exposure to new stimulus over time can solve that problem. Mm -hmm. There's nobody else who is positioned as uh, perfectly for lack of a better word, to solve that type of a problem than a coach. I agree. And I think that I've been through a lot of those courses that exist before us. Mm -hmm. And what I'm proud of is the amount of accountability that we put into ours, that you build into the courses that we do. Because I think that information is free. There's nothing that you put into this course that somebody couldn't have Googled. Yeah, you can find it all. Right. All on the internet. It's the ability to codify that information and then the ability to help somebody and ensure that they understand it in such a way that they can apply it by having them prove it and helping them with the little pivots that they need to make as they try. And I think that that's, frankly, what was missing before the courses that we've been creating at Active Life came to be. It was the, it's too hard to teach somebody in this way mm-hmm. and scale. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm proud to say that I think that we've looked at it, you especially, and said, the other way doesn't work. So what's the point of doing it at all if it's not going to work? Absolutely. 
So to, to kind of close this thing out, when somebody is finished going through all of the ALP curriculum, you as a physical therapist who can still see patients, mm-hmm. what is different about the way that you would communicate with one of them as compared to the way that you would communicate with somebody who says, I've been coaching for the last 10 years? Gotcha. Well, the first thing would be that I would know that they would understand the language that I am using. And that's one of those things that um, I actually wrote a blog post about this for for the Active Life blog not very long ago, that it's important for coaches to be able to communicate on the level with medical care providers so that coaches can solidify their place at the table of rehab professionals. Otherwise, we're operating on completely different spectrums. And so if I can say, hey, this person had... Uh, I don't know, they had this this uh, surgery that they had a slap tear, they had this many anchors. We got to uh, where we were able to hang from the pull-up bar for about 10, 15 seconds, but we weren't doing any active motion. So make sure to you know be cognizant of traction forces and um, make sure that they're able to um, maintain fluid motion and their arthrokinematics are on point. To have that conversation with somebody, like, and if you don't know what that stuff was, then do the course. It's good. (laughs) (laughs) But to be able to communicate that with a a coach would be huge. Um, One of the best pieces of advice that I got from one of my mentors um, as a physical therapist when I was going through uh, my residency stuff was that if you want to work with other medical professionals, then make them look good. Make every surgeon you ever talk to, whoever sends you a patient, make them look good like they are the best person at their job. Every single doctor that ever sends you a referral, make them look like they are the best doctor in the world. And physical therapists are the same way. They want to look good. And if they send you these people and they know that they can trust you with them, because you're going to, to be able to finish the job that they started, they're going to look very good. And it just moves on up the chain to the doctors, to the surgeons, and that's how we solidify the coach's place at that table. I think that was really well said. And I think what's happening right now is whether we would like to believe or not that the fitness provider, the coach, is already a valuable piece of the healthcare continuum, um, I've, I've been vocal about it. I do not. I think they could be. I think that we're lacking consistency. We're lacking basic barrier of education and effort to garner the respect of being considered a professional. Mm-hmm. And I think until those things happen, there won't be belief that fitness can actually have an important seat at the table like you just described. And I think that what happens right now is... Every time that a fitness entity or a fitness individual tells the world that they can solve healthcare problems the way that we do, and they get referrals from the healthcare system, they fall flat upon execution. Mm -hmm. So it looks good to be able to talk about how you're that solution to the public. And then... When it comes down to executing it at the ground level, when that referral is made from doctor to coach and the ball is dropped, 
the trust is lost, the client has a poor experience, and every person who comes into your place of business is an influencer of somebody else mm-hmm. who is either likely to or less likely to come into your business also as a result of that influence. Absolutely. I mean, it's marketing versus execution, really. Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, we can do this, but can you? Right. Can you really? Do you have a repeatable process? Right. Maybe not. Lance, I appreciate you coming on. Where can people find you? Um, Instagram, but I don't even know my handle. I can't remember. <laughs> I think it's, is it at... Uh, Dr. Lance, Lance Dr. Lance Enerson. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> just, just go on Instagram and type Lance Enerson and you'll find yeah, it. There's, yeah, there's not very many of us. Yeah. So, yeah, do that. Right, thanks, Lance. Thank you. Active Lifers, I have a favor to ask you. If you enjoyed the show, we pride ourselves on bringing value to you through the lens of bridging the gap between fitness and healthcare. The best way for you to support this podcast is by reviewing this episode wherever you listen. Please give us a five-star review and share this episode with a friend. Your support helps so much. Send a screenshot of your review to us on our Instagram account at ActiveLifeRx. As a thank you, we'll gift you a special PDF with the most common mistakes made when working out and how to correct them.